Well, we have a great message today. Happy birthday, church. Happy birthday, church. Not life of purpose, church. Not life of purpose, church. Uh, the, our birthday is actually the end of the month. Uh, this church will be 17 years old at the end of the month. Now, the church that I'm talking about, let's hold our applause to the... No, the church that I'm talking about specifically when I say happy birthday church is the church, God's church that began about 2,000 years ago. And it happened during a Jewish holiday called Pentecost. Now, full disclosure, all right, somebody very important did have a birthday yesterday, and that might have influenced the title of the message. Some of you still haven't found my Amazon wish list, but you did. Uh, no, your presence, that's my present there. Thank you very much for being here. But the, the church did birth itself on Pentecost, and it's recorded in Acts chapter 2. And that's where we're going to be. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2. Now, last week, if you were here, I preached on Acts chapter 1. If you missed it, if you missed any of our messages, you always can go to our website. They're always there or our YouTube channel, that's where they basically get uploaded to. So you can always check out a message from the past there. But in Acts chapter 1, last week, we saw the final appearance of Jesus. And Acts is a super important book in the Bible because it's the sequel to the Gospels. And it's the segue to the rest of the New Testament. So it really helps you understand what happened after the disciples and after G, uh, disciples uh, Jesus um, was uh, ascended into heaven. So, just kind of like a little post, yes, last week's quiz. It's a little quiz here. One question quiz. Who is the hero of the book of Acts? Who's the hero? The answer is the Holy Spirit. Yes, Acts of the Holy Spirit. We talked about that. Now, I've read Acts chapter 2 many times. It's really an in-depth um, chapter out of the book of Acts. It's, there's a lot of things in it, but how many of you have read Acts chapter 2 and you know what I'm kind of referring to? Acts uh, chapter 2 is deep, but just recently I made what I feel is a really amazing connection uh, to the Old Testament, in fact. In Acts chapter 2, what, what happens in Acts 2... And, and how it happens, and where it happens, and who it happens to, and when it happens, and why it happens. You know all those questions you're supposed to ask the Bible when you read the Bible? That's how you interpret the Bible? You ask those questions and you dig in? It's simply amazing the connection that Acts 2 has to the Old Testament, specifically what happened at Mount Sinai. And I want you to see that connection today because I believe it helps you see that God has a plan. I always say that. God has a plan. I believe he has a plan for your life, but I believe he has this big, amazing plan. And first and foremost, the plan is to redeem us from our sin. That's, I mean, he loves us, who he created, and he wants to redeem us from our sin. And he wants us to be forgiven. Do you like living your life feeling guilty? Feeling shame? Nobody does. We want to be forgiven. And God provided a way for that, and he provides a way for us to heaven. 
Secondly, his plan is to reveal himself. You want to know the number one reason why most people come to church? It's to get closer to God. It's it's to see God, to feel God, to feel his presence, and to get closer to him. That's God's plan. He wants to reveal himself. He wants you to know him personally and make him known publicly. That's what God's plan is. Thirdly, his plan is to grow his church. The church is God's idea. Like man didn't, we didn't come up with this idea on our own. This was God's idea to have a church, one universal church, but then how does that look? It looks like a bunch of local churches. We're all in this together. We're all on the same team. Somebody ought to tell some pastors that and church leaders that we're all on the same team here. But, but we're all working together because God wants his church to grow up big and strong. Just like you want your kids to grow up big and strong. And God wants his church to multiply. Which is why Jesus said we should go and make disciples. All of this God's plan is in Acts chapter 2. So are you ready? Say we ready. All right, cool. So in order to be ready, kind of I've shared this with you a little bit before, we sometimes pray, um, sort of my, my prayer um, posture is often, just because of years and years of praying, uh, I was taught this as a kid, fold your hands, close your eyes, and bow your head, right? That's sort of the way we always pray. But we, we see that, and if we study and we, we see that that's not always how they prayed. They prayed oftentimes with their hands up holy hands in the air, praying. And I often feel like when we pray like this, it's, we're saying to God, I want to receive what you have for me. And so let's pray with our hands up to receive what God has. Father in heaven, thank you for today that we can worship you. The birds are singing and calling out your praises. And we are too, Father. We want to receive a a truth from you, a a word from you, a message, something that will change our lives, and we will know you more. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. Amen. So we have a men's Bible study on Friday mornings. On Friday mornings, 6.15 a.m., if you want to get up early, come join us in the room right over here, and we have a great Bible study. where It's very in-depth sometimes, and it's very, it doesn't matter what your Bible knowledge is, come, you will learn something, you will have good fellowship. Um, We have coffee and snacks and all that fun stuff. But we began to look at this word atonement together um, this past Friday. We began to look at atonement. And um, it was funny because uh, Ryan, one of our uh, leaders, asked uh, me to define atonement. Well, I'm the pastor, of course, I'm supposed to know everything, right? I don't, and oftentimes I'm willing to say, well, let me give me some time to study that. Or, you know, if anybody ever asks you a tough question out in the real world, all right, outside these walls, don't be afraid to, that you don't know the answer. Sometimes you don't know the answer. You just say, I don't know it, but let me get back to you, and then it should drive you to know the answer. Well, it was uh, the question of, can you define atonement? If I put you on the spot right now, and if I said, uh, uh, um, Eileen, um, what is the, def- I can pick on my mom, because is- what's the definition of atonement? I mean, would you be able to define atonement? 
Now, some of you might simply say, well, isn't that like Jesus died for our sins? Isn't that what atonement is? And then some of you are like immediately on your phone and you're like looking it up, atonement. And uh, you come up with the Bible dictionary, which says the reconciliation of God and humankind through Jesus Christ. That's my most intelligent voice that I have. And that helps a little bit, but you just threw another big word out there, reconciliation. And um, So what is atonement, and why is atonement important? Well, atonement is necessary for redemption, for you to be redeemed. And the truth that I find today, and you probably know this too, you probably see this as well, when you invite people to come to church, or you start talking about God uh, in a, uh, at a family party or a barbecue, or, or maybe just for coffee or with someone, and you start talking about God. When people start talking about God, like, I'm, I'm all in, man, let's talk. But not everybody wants to talk about it. And when you start talking about forgiveness, it's interesting, or how people you know, how you get to heaven, people have this, this seems to be this kind of false, really, uh, hope, I think, that people think they're just good enough to get into heaven. And they deny this truth that we see in Romans 3.23. So in Romans 3.23, which I think I'll have on the screen here for you, Romans 3.23 says we've all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. Now that's a truth that a lot of people, I think, don't really, I don't think they really accept it. Because they think, I just do more good, I'm okay, I can get into heaven. But here's the truth. Heaven's perfect. Perfect. It's holy. It's where God lives. Like, you can't get in there. Mother Teresa can't get in there. All right, with all the good deeds that she did. You, you need redemption. You need forgiveness. You need atonement. So it's not possible without atonement. Now, some believe that this atonement, this way of forgiveness, started in the Garden of Eden. If you've read the book of Genesis before, the beginning, um, you might remember that Adam and Eve sinned, and from the very get-go, sin has consequences. Another thing that most people, I feel like, don't want to believe or accept, that we sin, it has consequences. And you have to face the consequences, and Adam and Eve were banished from the Garden of Eden. But then they also, you might recall, realized that they were naked and ashamed. They had a shame now for their nakedness, and so as a result of those, um, well, the sins, they, they had these consequences, but we see God's grace and mercy in this in that he provided some clothes for them. So Genesis 3.21, we see that God provided some clothes. Now, were these clothes made out of plants? Was this a plant-based, <laughs> we're in this craze of plant-based foods, was this plant-based clothes? Not really, no. The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So they wore leather pants. Ross would love this, if you're a friend's fan. Uh, the first, and how do you get leather skins, but there has to be a sacrifice. So you think about that, right? So God sacrificed. I always think this is just interesting because, you know, God created the animals and, and, and Adam named them, and there's a 
pair of animals that we know nothing about that potentially could have existed, but they were then sacrificed so that Adam and Eve could have clothes. So there's some animal out there, I don't know, maybe it's a liger. I don't know like what, what the name of this animal is. Maybe, it, anyway, um, first animal sacrifice. Then you see Adam's son was Abel. And Abel brought to God the firstborn of his flock, and, and it was another animal sacrifice. And God accepted it. And this continues, I believe, and I'm just going to take you, fast forward you to the days of Moses. In the days of Moses, we have, well, I could back up a minute and say that there was Abraham, and then there was his son Isaac, yep, and then there was Jacob. All right, now you're on a roll. All right, and, and, and that's the family of God, the chosen people. And Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and these people, they were a small family, but then they grew into a very large family in Egypt. In fact, if you read Numbers and uh, named that way for a reason, uh, there was about two million from this family over the course of 400 years. There was like exponential growth. And, and so you have this two million sized group of people, so numerous that the Egyptians were afraid of them more or less, so they enslaved them. They made them slaves. And the only way that they could be rescued, God, of course, had the plan to rescue them. And so he did this rescue plan uh, over the course of time with ten plagues. And you might recall the last plague was a doozy, right? It was the firstborn son of every family was killed by the angel of death. Except the family that, uh, that, you know, God's family, God's chosen people, they had to do something to protect their firstborn sons. And they called this Passover. They sacrificed the lamb, took the blood of the lamb, put it on the front of their doorpost, and the night that the angel of death came, if they saw the blood on the front door, they would pass over that house and not take the life of the firstborn son. That's significant. Very significant that that happened. And so they celebrate Passover um, uh, today. They do that. But, but after the Passover, they left Egypt. They traveled through a desert, and they went through a Red Sea. And there's so much in there that we can't get into this morning. But they came to uh, the foot of a mountain called Sinai. And it was there. Now, how long did it take to get from the Passover out of Egypt to Mount Sinai? And the answer is 40 days. 40 days. Now, when they got to the foot of Mount Sinai, Moses went up the mountain. And he was up there for about 10 days. Came down on the 50th day. And now this is an easy trivia question for you. He came down with two tablets we call the... Ah, you've seen the movie. Or you've read your Bible, which I hope is the latter. So he comes down with the Ten Commandments. But he came down with so much more. I mean, he came down with 600 more than that commandments, which all together is called the Law uh, or the Torah, um, if you're in um, Judaism. And so he comes down with basically this system of redemption. 
and atonement. And that system involved priests. Now, I will back, I'll just back up one second here, and I'll show you something that happened when, when God showed up. You see, God was, was with them, guiding them through the desert, but God showed up in a really big way at Mount Sinai. In Exodus 19, verse 18, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke. Now you just picture the scene here. you got two, two million people basically surrounding the, kind of the foot of this mountain. They were told not to approach the, the mountain. And it's wrapped in smoke, and the Lord has descended on it in fire, and the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered in the thunder. So God shows up loudly and visibly to these people. God reveals himself to these people. They see God. They hear God. And, of course, they trembled with fear. But God is showing himself to them. Now, that's important, as you'll see in, in a little bit here. Moses uh, now establishes a way of forgiveness. Atonement requires a priest. Priests. From what tribe? The Levites. The Levite tribe. There's 12 tribes, and the Levite tribe was the priestly tribe. Now, the priests would atone for the sins of the people with the blood of the Lamb. And they would do it in a special place called the tabernacle. God had specific instructions to Moses to build a tabernacle, which is basically a place where he would meet. It was a portable temple, because eventually there would be a permanent temple built by Solomon in Jerusalem. But you have a portable temple, a tabernacle, in which God would meet with Moses, and this is where they would atone for the sins of the people, and the priests would do it. Now, if I had to pick a place in the Bible for you to read all about this and sort of give you a wonderful summary and a connection to uh, Jesus and the atonement that we see in the New Testament, it would be for you to read Hebrews chapters 8, 9, and 10. So that's your homework. Go home, read Hebrews 8, 9, and 10. That'll be a great summary for you of the atonement and what it all means. But a key verse in there is chapter 9, verse 22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And this part, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Think about that. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. That's it. That's the bottom line. No forgiveness without the shedding of blood. So you read Hebrews 8-10, through 10, and you'll see how Jesus is the high priest once and for all because he died for our sins. And he doesn't have to keep dying for our sins, like animals had to keep dying for their sins back then. He died once for all. Now, unfortunately, while Moses was up on the mountain for about 10 days, the people down at the foot of the mountain were growing restless. And they decided, with Moses' brother named Aaron, to worship a golden calf. Idolatry. And idolatry never makes God happy. And so when Moses came down the mountain on the 50th day, by the way, the, the sin, um, 
of the people, there, there were definitely consequences. Consequences. Um, this was about 1300 BC, just to give you a time reference. But 3,000 men died. So you can look it up for yourself. I'll actually show you where this is at in a minute here. But 3,000 men died because of their disobedience and their lack of repentance. But on the bright side, what God did here at Mount Sinai was he established a new covenant with his people and he established Israel. This is where Israel is established. The Israelite nation happens right here in about 1340 B.C. Now at this point, I may have lost you. (laughs) Or you might be thinking, what does all this have to do with Acts chapter 2? Pastor, this is happy birthday. I heard happy. This is not happy. What are you doing to me right now? All right, I'm back on track. I'm into the New Testament. Okay, back into the New Testament, because I want you to see the connection here. And I'm going to help you make the connection. What Jewish feast was being celebrated when Jesus was crucified? The answer is Passover. Passover. And you know about Passover now. You know what that means, and you know when it started. Passover is when God's people still sacrifice a lamb. The Jewish nation still, they still sacrifice the lamb. And they do it to remember that God saved their firstborn sons and redeemed them from slavery. Now get this. When Jesus went to the cross at Passover, he shed his blood on the cross. Why would he do that? To redeem us. To redeem the whole world from our slavery to sin. Are you picking up what I'm laying down here? I mean, this is amazing what God has done. He has this tremendous plan. It's so much more, though. Acts 1, chapter, or chapter 1, verse 3. Jesus presented himself, last week we saw this, to, to, to uh, many people, showing many proofs. And he did this over the course of 40 days talking about the kingdom of God. 